Well, good morning. This this morning we're going to con- we're going to continue. Well, we're going to finish chapter two of uh, of Second Peter, which leaves uh, one more chapter, and uh, we will probably take that into two messages. So we're gonna we'll be done in three Sundays, counting this one. So we'll be done with Second Peter. I uh, I asked to take a, at least a two week break uh, before continuing. I kind of need to. I'm getting old. I need to catch my breath. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. No, he don't. He don't understand. But uh, but at, but at any rate, uh, we um, and we haven't come to a conclusion what the next next teaching will be because I I told uh, Mark Herringer yesterday. I, I told him I said, well, I don't care, <laughs> uh, you know. But I but but uh, uh, I, I want to make sure we fit in with wherever any other section of the church is going i don't want to overlap anyone so so uh, we'll we'll be hashing that out over the next few next couple of weeks so and then we'll get it prepped and ready to go so i don't know what they're going to do in the two weeks but we got two more weeks in in second peter so uh uh, uh this morning we're going to be looking at verses uh verses uh, uh i forgot to put the text in here I just realized. Well, anyway, it's 17 through 22 is where we're going to be looking today, and it kind of continues. Uh, I I entitled this this last section here, starting in um, the second half of verse 10, as a, a portrait of a false teacher, and he picks up that portrait, and then he kind of talks something about their uh, uh, about their. Um, their ultimate destiny, really, in a, in a sense, uh, what what is what is really uh, happens with them, and uh, as we go through this, as we go through this, it's it's kind of important to realize in second in second Peter chapter two, uh, the entire subject matter is false teachers. Those uh, those that Paul spoke of in Acts twenty that that are, are grievous wolves that wouldn't spare the flock. Uh, that's uh, that's who he's talking about. That scripture is filled with it. We're going to hit a few verses later on about them. But here, specifically, Peter has given kind of broad strokes uh, to uh, to the false teacher. He's given a, a kind of an overview of who they are, what they are, how they operate, uh, what motivates them. He's talked about that. He says that they're basically what they do is they introduce damnable heresies or or destructive heresies is what they what they bring into the church then they're they're primarily driven by by their by their own sensuality and their their ability to and their and they're motivated by greed those two things kind of are the hallmark of a false teacher uh they are are somewhat perverse and and uh and greedy, uh, they they lust after everything. In in other words, and literally, and uh, he expands that picture. And ultimately, in these last verses, he calls them apostates. Is is what he is defining in verses twenty through twenty two uh, that they that they uh, they are deep in apostasy is the is the idea. He's also painted them as as arrogant, as blasphemers, reveling. They 
party in the day he, he talked about uh, in the in the last section they're adulterers and they are are, are are basically lost in a sense of madness these are the things that he's had to say about him and we're going we're going to pick up on that uh, this morning he's going to continue that idea uh, especially in verses 17 and 19 and then he's going to talk about their apostasy in verses uh, 20 through 22 so that's where we're going to be going here in just a minute or two this morning uh, before we do, before we do, uh, are there any any prayer requests? No. Okay. Cool. Would you open us this morning, please? Lord God, thank you so much for this morning where we have a chance to gather and hear your word taught. We thank you for the words of Second Peter, who are so um, such a warning to us to be uh, Bereans of your word, so that we can compare true gospel messages from those of arrogant false teachers, Lord, and um, we pray for your righteousness and your justice to take place here on earth. Uh, it's, a, it's so obvious to us to be able to see uh, heresy from truth, Lord. John would divide your word and we all be attentive and apply your word in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, as we come to the text, uh, thus far in the in the book of Second Peter, Peter has uh, had some very, uh, very um, uh, um, uh, um, I, I'm not quite sure what the term I want to use is. Is they had some very flattering terms to call fla- uh, false teachers. He's he said of them in verse ten that they, uh, uh, or in verse nine, he, or in verse ten uh, that they are self-willed. That they blaspheme. In verse eleven, he says that they uh, uh, they re- they revel in the in 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 judgment, and he says that they're like. Unreasoning, unreasoning animals. Their behavior is animalistic. Is kind of the way he he has put it there. He says that they uh, uh, they uh, uh, they they party in the daytime, and they are really stains and blemishes on the church. Uh, he says they have eyes full of adultery. They have unceasing sin and enticing. They entice unstable souls, and they are accursed. Uh, they've forsaken the right way, and they have gone astray. That's that's the picture he's painted so far. And so we we come to verse seventeen, and he 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 continues this picture, and he says that they are springs without water and mist, driven by a storm, who who uh, for whom the black darkness has been kept for speaking out arrogant words of vanity they entice by sensual lust of the flesh those who barely escape from the ones who conduct themselves in error promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption for by what a man is overcome he by this he is enslaved so the first thing he says the first uh, the first in verse 17 he talks about he basically is talking about uh, the uh, the content and the substance of their teaching here is what he what he's saying he's, he's going to give us a, an idea of what their teaching is like and he says it's he gives two metaphors that describe this and he says first of all there's springs without water uh, that, that's the picture he gives here he says they're a spring that has no content uh, they have, it has no water there's there's nothing there uh, he, it, it pictures a traveler in the in the air in an arid land which we kind of live in one of those although this year it got wet but nevertheless we live in one of those kind of areas an arid land and he says they're traveling across there they're looking for they're looking for a fresh drink of water and they come up on what they think is a spring and there's nothing there 
It may even be just a mirage is, is the idea here. I don't know if you've ever, you've ever drive out across a desert in the summertime and you look out down the road and you think the road is wet and you go, did it rain up there? And when you get there, it's not wet there. It's wet farther down. It's a mirage. Uh, that's the idea here. You, you think there's going to be something there, but the reality is there's nothing that is going to refresh. Uh, that's 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 the idea that he he uh, he wants to he wants to see here. Uh, in Psalm, excuse me, in Proverbs ten eleven, it says, "The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked covers of violence." And that's what he's saying here. These are empty. These are empty, empty cisterns that have no. No beneficial effect. Uh, in fact, they probably have an opposite, uh, a, a, an opposite effect. Uh, in John seven, cha- uh, chapter seven, verses verses thirty-seven and thirty-eight, uh, Jesus uh, Jesus here is uh, is uh, is teaching, and he says, "Now the la- uh, now on the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out." saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the, uh, as the Scripture said, from the innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Uh, that's, 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 that's what uh, the idea is here. Is The true gospel brings living water. It brings life. It brings refreshment. It, it, it brings... A, it, uh, it, it, it does the things that water is supposed to do in a spiritual sense here. Uh, but these false teachers are empty. They're an empty well. They're a, they're a dried up riverbed. Is, is the idea here. Year, uh, several years ago, I was going on a business trip back east, and we were actually in the Midwest, to Wisconsin. But anyway, we were flying out of Meadows Field, and I was looking in the gift shop, was walking around waiting for the plane. You know, you'd be there two hours early for no reason. But anyway, uh, um, I was looking in the gift shop, and they had, a, they, had a, uh, they had a T-shirt there, and it said, Bakersfield! A river bed runs through it, uh, and, and uh, you know. And, and I thought, yeah, okay. Well, that's these guys. Uh, they they have a river bed and nothing nothing more. And then secondly, he does the second one. And it's once again around the theme of water. And he says they are mist driven by a storm. Jude in chap in verse not chapter verse twelve, the second half of verse verse twelve says they're clouds without water. That's that's the picture he gives them here. And here he's talking about their content. There's no content. Yeah, they show some sign of moisture. They show, they show some sign of something of benefit, but the reality is there's nothing there. Uh, that's 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 what he's saying here. There's actually nothing there. I, I I noticed a couple of places where I did a little bit of research, and it said that in in the on the eastern Mediterranean, uh, there is a mist that comes in sometimes, and this mist. Uh, has the promise of rain with it, uh, but as time as the day progresses, it just evaporates and it does nothing. It doesn't bring anything. And I was I was thinking, I go, you know, uh, that's pretty related to where we live because other than this last year, every time it's they predicted there was rain. You know, on thir- Tuesday night the news said there's going to be rain tonight, and then you got up Wednesday morning and they said, well, uh, the uh, 
I forgot what it's called now. I wrote it down, too. Uh, the rain shadow effect took place, and the clouds went around the mountains. You know, it's the same thing. That's the idea here. Uh, there are these promising clouds. There are these promising mists to, to bring moisture, and they just evaporate. And they do absolutely no good. And that's what he's saying here. He says their content is empty. It is of no value. It has no substance to it whatsoever. It doesn't do anything. And then he says, and then he goes on in this verse, and he says, he says that, uh, <clears throat> for whom the black darkness has been kept. And this is basically picturing, this is, the, this is their end. This is the end of the false teacher. And what it, what it, it's, it's, a, it's a very poetic way of saying, they're going to hell. Literally is what he's saying here. He's saying that's what he's talking about. Hell is defined. Hell is uh, described in a couple of ways. Both in Matthew, I didn't write the text down, but in Matthew, it's defined as a place of fire, and it's defined as a place of darkness. It's absolute. It's burning hot, but it's absolutely black. And that's that's the picture that that he's giving us here. He's saying they're in absolute they're in absolute darkness. That's their reward. The reward for their their efforts is eternal separation from God, eternal damnation. That's the that's the picture he's pointing here. Calvin wrote about this verse. He said it's a place of moment. He says. In the place of momentary darkness where these guys live, because they have no light of Christ, he says, in the, in the place of the momentary darkness which now cast, there is prepared for them a much thicker and eternal one. Eternal darkness is what he's, what he's saying of these men, of, of, these false, of these false prophets. And then he goes on and he talks a little bit more about their content and their substance and how it, how it and, and in this case, it's really something more about their delivery. And he says, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by sensual lust of the flesh those who barely escape from the ones who conduct themselves in error. Uh, here he's describing something of their delivery. He says it's arrogant words of vanity. That's uh, that's the way it's it's translated here. Uh, this word, arrogant words, is a word that means swelling. Uh, is the idea here? In fact, it's it's the idea of an something that is unnaturally swollen. It's really puffed up. Is is the idea here? Uh, one uh, one uh, one commentator. Uh, described it as bombastic, haughty, high-sounding, flamboyant, verbose, ostentatious. It's just a bunch of rhetoric is the idea here that they say. Uh, there's, there's no real, we've already seen, there's no real content, there's no real substance, but it's a lot of words. It's a lot of high-sounding words. It's a lot of sophisticated nonsense. <laughs> I think uh, we're going to be seeing a lot more of that as the political season unfolds. A bunch of nonsense rhetoric that means nothing. In fact, I think the news commentators have one politician that they pretty much define their speeches as as uh, word salads. That's what these guys are. That's that's the picture here that he's painting of them. There's nothing. There's nothing in their words that have any value. They have no eternal value. It's a bunch of good-sounding, high, 
high lofty phrases that produce nothing. That's 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 the picture that he's that he's talking about here. He says they are they are words of vanity, uh, meaning they have no value. They're empty words, is what he's saying here. Jude, uh, Jude, verse thirteen. Jude wrote, "They're wild waves of the sea, casting upon their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever." He basically says they're like a meteor; they just shoot and burn out. That's that's all there is to it. That's, that's the idea of these guys. It's flowery vocab... Uh, MacArthur, in his commentary, said this, and he says there, their flowery vocabulary of, rich, of religious ritualism, uh, the, uh, uh, the convoluted doctrines of pseudo-Christian cults, and the academic arguments of mainstream liberalism. These are, these are, these are what they involve. These are the ideas. If you, I, I, when I was when I was in sim, and I had to write a paper uh, on something, arguing about something, you know, uh, the first thing I would do is I would go get the liberal, liberals' commentaries and read what they had to say, and then I knew exactly what I had to argue against. <laughs> you know, I had to define what I had to argue against. You know, I knew because they're wrong. <laughs> you know, but. In fact, I even have a couple of those commentaries. I still look at them every once in a while. I had a I had a professor a professor who uh, uh, Dr. Mark Mueller, who uh, had a Ph.D. from Cambridge in comparative theology, and he uh, he would quote entire passages out of some of these guys some of these guys uh, uh, theologies, and when he get done quoting it, he would slam his podium and go. Oh, really? You know, and that's 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 what these guys are. That's exactly what these guys are. That, that's a picture of these guys. First Timothy, chapter one, verses five and seven. But the goal of our command is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and an unhypocritical faith. For some, straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they are making confident assertions. Uh, that's, that's a description of these guys. Basically, Paul says they don't know what they're talking about. That's that's what he's saying here, and then in in uh, uh, in chapter six, he wrote there in verses uh, verses three through five. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine uh, conforming to godliness, he is conceited, understanding nothing, and having a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which rise envy, strife, slander, evil suspicion, and constant conflict between men of depraved minds and de- uh, and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means for gain. That's that's a, the description Paul gives of these guys. Uh, they they that's who they are. They're just worthless in their rhetoric. Is is the idea here? It has no content. It has no substance. It's only meant to drag you in and flatter you, ultimately, but it's empty. It's empty. And he says, he says they, 
He says they entice by sensual lust of the flesh. We talked about this word entice last week. This is the word that means to bait, uh, to trap, to, to hook you, to, to pull you in. And that's what he says here. They entice. And they entice by things that make the flesh feel good. That's what they do. Uh, their, 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 their conduct is one that, that, that makes you feel good in your humanity uh, and in your depraved humanity, ultimately. Uh, that's, that's, what he's, that's what he's saying here. Uh, they, they drag you in, they hook you, they make it sound good, but it's not so. Years ago, Sometimes my examples are old because I am. But years ago, years ago, I was watching a TV program and there was some there was they had some alleged church leaders on. Well, the one guy was solid. He was a Moody guy. He was a teacher at Moody Bible Institute. But this other guy was going on and they were discussing pornography. And this was before the Internet. okay, before it became everywhere. And and uh, the one guy. And I forgot who he was from. He basically was saying that there was nothing wrong with reading the girly magazines. Said, in fact, he and his wife read them together, and it enhanced their sex life. And the guy from Moody about fell out of his chair. I mean, you know, it was like, but it's like that's the kind of thing this is talking about. And yeah, the answer is ew, you know. But that's the kind of thing he's talking about here. This is the picture he's painting here. Uh, this is the the thing. And he says he, he catches, he targets these people, and he and it, and it's directed at at the feelings and needs of these people. Is the idea here? You might look at Second First uh, Corinthians six twelve through twenty, where Paul had to deal with all of this kind of stuff in the Corinthian church. It was just full of sexual problems. And Paul had to uh, had to go in and, and hammer a bunch of those out. Uh, in Second Timothy chapter three, verses excuse me one through six. But know this: that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of selves. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unliving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, without gentleness, without love of good, for, uh, for good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of god- godliness, but having denied its power. Keep away from such men as these. And then in verse 4, 3 and 4, he says, For the time will come when they do not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will uh, will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. I I think that's a picture of of 2023 in most American churches this morning. That that's exactly the picture. Uh, that's where we are today. Uh, that's where a lot of the stuff uh, you'll read in a lot of the so-called Christian magazines, uh, the stuff that they they produce. This is the nonsense that comes out of a number of seminaries that at one time were solid, uh, but uh, that that's that's the idea here. That's what this is what this is what Peter is talking about here. This is a picture of these guys. Uh, he says he says they entice uh, with lust of the flesh. Uh, 
Those who have barely escaped from the ones who conduct themselves in error. And the question here is simply simply this, is, is who is he talking about here? Uh, there are Some commentators say, well, he's talking about the false teachers here. He's not talking about the false teachers here. He's, he's, talking, about, he's talking about, for the most part, those people who have sensed a need in their lives. Uh, those people who have not fully come to embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But maybe they're in church, they're listening, um, uh, maybe they're hearing the gospel, but they become prime targets for these people because they don't really have the capacity to fully understand the truth yet. And they're hearing some of it and they're feeling good about it and they're kind of doing churchy things, but they really haven't got there yet. And that's what he's talking about here. And he's basically saying they have escaped some of the world. That's the idea. Uh, uh, And he's talking about those who live in error. Those are pagans. They came out of that, but they haven't come fully out of it. And they're the targets. They're the big targets. They are the the big targets. Uh, Those who live in error. They're not the false prophets. They're the pagans. And then in verse 19, he goes on and he says, he says to him here in verse 19, he says, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For what a man, for by what a man is overcome by this, he is enslaved. False teachers promise. What he's saying here is the false teachers promise freedom. They, they, they promise freedom. Their freedom is you have been justified, therefore you can sin all you want. Does that sound biblical to you? You haven't read Romans, if, if, uh, if it does. My, uh, my other son, Mark, you know, he, he's involved with the Galatians Bible study, and he, he came in laughing the other day because one of the questions they asked in the study guide was... was uh, um, uh, was how do you feel about something about sin? How you feel about sin, or something like that? And Mark came in and he says, his answer was, "Read Romans. <laughs> that's how a Christian should feel about sin." Uh, but anyway, uh, that's that's the idea here. Is 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 they basically promise freedom? They they would turn justification in the freedom in the freedom to sin. That's exactly what they they would do. Uh, see Romans chapter six one through twenty three. In fact, just just a couple of passages from that uh, from that section, verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Verse 2, may it never be. That's the answer to that. And then in verse 15, he says, what then? Shall we say, uh, shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And again, may it never be. That's presumption on God. And that's not to be done. A justification did not free you to sin. It freed you from the penalty. It freed you to live a godly life. It freed you to commune with God, but it did not free you to do anything you want to do. And that's the idea here. These guys are saying just the opposite of that. They're saying grace just frees you up. It doesn't matter. You know, you make that walk down the aisle, you say that prayer, you got your fire insurance, now go live however you want. That's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. That's not Christianity, but that's their teaching. That's what Paul is saying about about these people. And then he goes on and he says, For by what a man is overcome, 
by this he is enslaved. That's, that's the idea here. Whatever overtakes you eventually enslaves you. Now, this te- this, the scriptures, and the scriptures are filled with this, uh, teach that uh, believers are to be overcomers. Uh, in fact, it says that we are overcomers. Uh, if you are a true believer, you are an overcomer. Uh, these people are not overcomers. They have been overcome. There's a difference. They've been overcome by their sin. That's the that's 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 what he's saying in this in this text. Uh, John chapter eight, verses thirty four, thirty four and thirty six. Uh, actually, th- yeah, thirty four. Jesus answered them and said, "This is uh, questions being asked." Uh, a- he, he's talking with the Pharisees who live in their, their, their ritualistic legalism and claim because basically we're sons of Abraham, therefore we're saved. You know, your heritage doesn't save you, incidentally. Uh, but, uh, but he says, he says here, he says, Jesus answered them, them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sins is a slave to sin, and the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains for the, uh, uh, the son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The point is, the true freedom is surrendered to Jesus Christ. That's that's what he's that's what he's telling us here. And he's saying these people don't tell us that. These people are saying Jesus freed you to do what you want. And that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not not at all the picture here. He says by by what a man is overcome, he's a slave to it. Jesus sent us free from the slavery of sin, and these these people would take you right back in. That's the idea. This is the idea. Okay, the price. We're going to pay the price to get you out of the slave market. Now, just go back and join it, because that, that's the idea. Um, the uh, first-century Greek philosopher this is not religious at all, but Greek philosopher, philosopher Seneca wrote: "To be enslaved to oneself is the heaviest of all servitudes." Right? That's that. That's the picture here. I uh, years ago. Years ago, I uh, was in a Sunday school class, and the guy who normally taught the class uh, was a guy I knew knew really well. He was one of the people, one of the guys that was very involved in our church. He had he had uh, he had a master's degree in 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 uh, he had an MDiv, and he also had a master's degree in in uh, in uh, counseling. And he had brought. Uh, he had brought. He was going to be gone, and he brought one of the other guys from his counseling group in to, to teach our Sunday school class. And this guy uh, spent the whole afternoon. I, I always kick myself. I was a little lot younger then, and not as well trained, and not and just starting in my career teaching, and was a little bit not sure about taking this guy on. But uh, I wish I had. Uh, he. Uh, he went on talking about his entire speech was about self-esteem. You know what? It's Christ-esteem, not self-esteem. Uh, we are who we are in Christ, not in John, because he's a mess. And, and, and that's, 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 that's the reality of it. And I remember he said, and this is what really got me, because I just this is where I almost come out of the seat. He says, you know, it's not that... It's not that uh, uh, how did he put it? 
uh, it's not basically he was attacking. Uh, uh, um, oh man, I just went completely blank. See, I told you I was old. The John Newton song that we all sing, Amazing Amazing Grace. How did I forget that? He was attacking Amazing Grace. And he says, it's not that worm, I got it, it's not that worm theology of Amazing Grace. Worm theology? That's exactly true theology. God saved a wretch like me. You know? He pulled me out of the depths of sin. That's 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 the truth. And, but it, no, I got to feel good about myself. No, I got to have a realistic view of who I was and who I am. Because I am now a new creation in him. Old things passed away. All things became new. That's that's the picture. These guys don't teach that. You know, be all you can be. Yeah, well, go join the army. You won't be all you can be. I know. I, I was there. You won't. But nevertheless. Anyhow, that's, uh, that's, that's what you're talking about in this first part. He says they're slaves to empty arrogance. These guys are enslaved by their own selves in the arrogance of themselves teaching nonsense. And leading other people astray. That's that's ultimately what he's saying in these first in these first three verses. And then he then he goes on in verses twenty through twenty two, and he talks about them. And 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 and, and here I, I entitle this: "They're overcome with apostasy." Although the word apostasy is not found in this text, it's what he's describing: an apostate. And and he's he's saying here that. Uh, uh, this is who you need to know these people are, and then he gives us something about uh, what they really are <laughs> as we get through this. Scripture, scripture warns that there, there are real dangers from these who are within the walls of Christianity. These guys creep in. Uh, that's why you have to have a. Uh, that's why so many churches that don't have solid biblical foundations and solid biblical forms of church piety fall fall victim to this stuff. There's no one there to stand up and say, no. You know, there's not there's not a group of godly elders that protect the flock. And that's that's part of the problem. And, and he says they creep into the walls and they're not true to the faith. They're not saved, but they have knowledge of Christ. They have intellectual knowledge of Christ and they probably can quote Bible really well. They just don't believe it is the big problem. Uh, that's that's the problem with it. And in and, and, and Acts 20, 28 and 29, uh, Paul says that, that after his departure, grievous wolves will come in among not sparing the flock. They're going to be in the church. That's the idea. Jesus warned in Matthew 24, 24 of, of the false messiahs that would arise. And there certainly have been a lot of those. In the second Timothy 4, 3 through 4, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. He said they will turn away from the truth. These people. That's what. That's what they do. In John four one through six, they John tells the believing church to test the doctrines of those who would teach. And then, and then he he goes on in Matthew twenty and Matthew twenty three one through twenty nine speaks of the the hypocrisy that they say one thing and they do another. In that, in that context of Matthew. And then in Titus 1, 6 through 16, 
that whole passage is the duty of an elder to protect the flock from these guys. That, that, that's, that's the primary thing. And, if, and in verse 15, he says, it, it says of those that we are to be protected from uh, by a solid eldership is that they have minds and their minds and their consciences, conscience have been corrupted. They've been corrupted. And then Second Peter 2, our study and the book of Jude, they're all about false teachers who, who would infiltrate. And probably the prime example of all is, of course, Judas, Judas Iscariot. He becomes our prime example. There's a number of them named in Scripture, but most of the time they're unnamed. Uh, they're, they're just referred to, but no name is given. I'm kind of interested in this week, uh, looking at this passage and looking at it, and a couple of headlines that popped up this week that were just kind of interesting to me. Uh, one is the Southern Baptists had their convention. I don't know how familiar with Southern Baptists you all are, but the Southern Baptist denomination uh, has gone through a massive change in the last few years. They were totally infiltrated in several of their seminaries by liberals. And those seminaries produced liberals. Big surprise, huh? And, 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 and at any rate, which infiltrated then their churches and corrupted a great many of them. Not all of them. Don't, don't, it's not all of them. Some of them are as solid as they could be. But a few years ago, leadership in the Southern Baptist Convention changed. And the conservatives took control. And they started ridding themselves of these liberals. Now, interesting, the, the liberal news media said they purged. I said they purified. But nevertheless, um, uh, both start with a P. Uh, anyway, and I guess they both have a U in them, too. But anyway, anyhow... Uh, the the PUs were moved out. You know that's 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 what happened. That's what happened. So at their latest convention, at their latest convention, some of the more liberal churches amongst them had decided to ordain women pastors. The leading which was Saddleback Rick Warren's mess. Have you ever been there? You ever been to that church? I went there one time, and. I, 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 I called it the Dodger Stadium Church because in the seventh inning, everybody started to leave to get to the parking lot. It was insane. I was being pushed out of the aisle in the last song, literally, by these guys because they wanted to get out. And it was before the offering. <laughs> that was the interesting thing. But anyway, uh, but anyway that's beside the point. Uh, uh, but the Southern Baptist... In their convention, they, they have these conventions, and, and they're Baptists, so they vote on everything. And, and uh, I was in a Baptist church, so I, I know how this works. You know, you vote on it. You voted members in. Why? You know, but anyway, uh, but, but any rate, at any rate, uh, uh, they took a vote, and they expelled five churches that had women pastors. Good for them. And the vote was nine to one. I mean, literally, it was 9,000-something to 1,200-and-something, or some, something like that, you know. Of course, the liberal press only interviewed the woman pastor from Saddleback, and she made this interesting statement. 
and and I kind of equated it here. She really doesn't know her Bible. But anyway, she said she said uh, big verbose words about trying to sound very spiritual while condoning heresy. Uh, she said they have taken us back to 1950, and I said. No, my dear lady, they took you back to first century A.D. That's what they. Oh yeah, they threw them out. They they were the they were the main focus. They were they're gone. Anyway, anyway, and the second one, the second one, is a denomination that I grew up in as a child, and that's the United Methodist, uh, who went south a long time ago, and didn't come back. But they just had a big, big hula, and this one was over the the alphabet people uh, because they're ordaining them and putting them in, you know, that kind of stuff. And basically, a big portion of them left. I mean, that's the straw that broke the camel's back for these people. It, it was okay that they stopped teaching uh, the virgin birth. It was okay that they stopped teaching the whole Bible was the word of God those kind of things were okay but LBGQ XYZ uh, just that was that was the breaking point and I, and I looked at it, I read the article and I said why didn't you leave 40 years ago but anyway you know those things are going on in Christianity today and I, I kind of wondered as I looked at those things I'm kind of getting off the track here but you'll have to live with it uh, I kind of as, as I looked at that I kind of thought what is the Holy Spirit doing here? Is he moving the pure back and separating us out? Because the liberal press was not being at all kind to the Southern Baptists or to those Methodists that, that left. It's like, oh, we're not being inclusive, you know. But, uh, it's a hard job. Yeah, it's a, hard, it's a tough job. But anyway, it was, it was interesting. Uh, an apostasy or an apostate is one who is literally what the word means is to fall away. That's, that's what it means. They fall away from the truth. They just fall away from the truth. Um, and and ver- so then, and so as we get to verse 20, he says this. He says, For if they are overcome, having both escaped the defilement of the world by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, or by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and having again, again entangled themselves, then the last state has become worse than the first state. This doesn't teach that these people were saved. It, it teaches that they had a knowledge, uh, that they came to knowledge. They may have gone to seminary, you know. They may have gone to, to uh, uh, any one of a number of seminaries. Uh, they may have gone to a European seminary, <laughs> which they wouldn't have heard anything about Jesus Christ. They would have had very little knowledge. They probably would have been very well versed in how to, how to translate Greek, but they had no clue on what it meant. But, uh, but uh, the idea here is that uh, somewhere along the line, they came out of the world into the church. That's, that's the idea that he's, that he's expressing here. They, they came out of the world and into the church. They wanted to, to escape the defilement, he says here. Uh, we already know in verse 19 that we're talking about people who are slaves of corruption, they're false teachers. Uh, but they have, they have 
and he'll explain it a little further as we move along, uh, they have a knowledge, but they don't have saving knowledge. Uh, they may even be orthodox, but they're not true. That's, that's the idea here. These are the people that John talks about in 1 John 2.9 that went out from us because they were never really a part of us, because if they were, they would have stayed. I paraphrase that a little bit. Uh, but that's, that's the idea here. Uh, they saw the church, the church became, in a sense, a temporary escape from the defilement of the world. It was a nicer place to be. People smiled at you and said good morning. You know, uh, that, that's kind of the idea here. Defilement is a word that means pollution. And in, in, in uh, classic Greek and in, 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 the, in, the, in the Greek thinking of this word and how the Greeks use this word, it was seen as a vapor that that caused disease. That's that's literally what they saw. They saw that it it corrupted and it deleted things and it caused disease. That was the that was the idea of this word defilement. Uh, it was a pollution is the idea uh, that uh, that went with it. Uh, and of course, the world then is the evil the evil world system the evil world system that is polluted and contaminated. Uh, they found some escape within the walls of the church, but then they brought the pollution of the world into it, is is what he is saying here. Uh, They had knowledge about Christ, but they were not in Christ. Christamaker, in his his commentary, said, These people had professed the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but in time fully disclosed that their knowledge was merely intellectual knowledge. Uh, and Christamaker goes on to say, to see Matthew 13, 20, 21, uh, they are the seeds that fell on rocky ground, is, is what, he, what he is saying here. That's, that's the picture here. You can cross-reference Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, and Hebrews 10, 26 through 29. It's the same idea. It's the same idea here. And, 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 he, and he says that it is, it is evident because, because they were overcome again by the polluted world. That's, that's, that's the, the idea. He follows this whole idea. Uh, they, by what a man is overcome, to that he's enslaved. And he's saying these false teachers were then overcome. Even though they tried to get out of the world, they were again overcome. 1 John chapter 5. Verses 4 and 5. For, every, for everything that has been born of God overcomes the world. And this, is the, and, this, and this is the overcoming that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's an overcomer. You believe Jesus is the Son of God? You believe the doctrines of the Bible? You're an overcomer. And you have overcome. That's the position you are in. That's what John is saying here. Those are present tense words, incidentally. This word is used over and over again in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 7, 11, 17, 26, chapter 3, verses 5, 12, and 21, all declaring overcomers, uh, believers. That's who they, that's who true believers are. They have overcome. They have overcome the world. That's the idea. These folks have not. They were overcome by it. That's, that's the difference. And then he says, he says, he says, then their last state will become worse than that of their first. That's a, that's a, a picture that they have here. Matthew chapter 10. 
It's in here somewhere. Matthew chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Jesus has uh, sent the disciples out on their first kind of missionary trip. And he, uh, he says in verse 14, And whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you leave that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it would be more tolerable for the, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Uh, he goes on in, in chapter 11 uh, to list the number of cities in which Jesus did miracles and then says it would be the, the judgment on Tyre and Sarah, uh, Tyre, Tyre and, and uh, uh, Sidon, thank you, I can't talk now, uh, Tyre and Sidon and the judgment on Capernaum will be far worse because of the knowledge that they had. Uh, what he's saying here is, is these guys, because they had come to a certain degree of knowledge in Jesus Christ, but then rejected and walked away, have more to answer for than someone who never heard. Uh, that's, that's the picture that he's, uh, that he's painting here. They're worse off for their hearing is, is what, what, the, what, the, what, he is, what he is saying. And then verse 21, he, he builds upon that. He says, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it and turned away from the holy commandments handed, handed on to them. In other words, what he's saying here, he's saying it would have been better if they'd never heard. It would have been much better if they'd have never heard anything. In fact, Hebrews 10.26 says, Of these people, for them, there is no longer remains a sacrifice. There is no means by which they can be saved, because they've rejected it. And he says, the way of righteousness, which is, which is faith, and by the holy commandments, the word of God. They rejected faith, and they rejected the word of God. That's, that's, that's what he's telling, him, telling us here. Uh, ap- uh, apostate teachers develop within the church in part to escape the world's pollution, but ultimately return just like Judas. Just like Judas. They use the church for their own selfish games. For, again, first, uh, uh, first, uh, first Timothy four one through two, for Second Peter, where he says they would make merchandise of you, literally. And then he goes on and he he finishes this up with this proverb, and he says the, the message of the true proverbs has happened to them. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallow in its mire. Now, understand something. You know, I got this little dog at home that we call him Hooper. He's a little Boston Terrier, and he runs our house. Uh, he owns it, and, and he runs the house. You know, he literally does. Uh, we, he, he doesn't speak English, but we all know exactly what he wants when he wants it, and we get up and respond. That's not dogs in the New Testament. Dogs were scavengers. They were not pets. They were not brought into people's homes. They were scavengers. They hunted what they could get, what was left over. And as a result of that, they often ate things that weren't really good for them. Uh, And they would vomit it up. I know this isn't real pretty on a Sunday morning and pleasant, but nevertheless, it's scriptural. And they would vomit it up. And then they would come back and eat the vomit. That's the picture he's got here. The other one, 
is, in the Old Testament at least, probably the most unclean animal, a pig. Pigs get in the mud to keep the bugs and stuff off of them, you know, the flies and stuff that bother them. And they get in the mud and they waller in it and they get covered in filth. Well, you can take that pig out of the mud and you can wash him. And he'll turn around and go right back to the mud. That's the picture he's painting here. He's saying the false teachers are like dogs that, vom- that had at one point vomited up the impurity of their life, but turned right around and ate it back. And they're just like the unclean pig who took a bath and then rolled around in the mud again. That's who they are. They're nothing more than dogs and pigs. That's the picture he paints of them. And when he comes to the end of this portrait, that's who they are. A scavenger dog and a filthy pig. Any comments or questions this morning? You may have said this already, and somehow I missed it. But so here, that picture is of the false teacher. But who are the people that they are drawing away? Generally, generally, sometimes new converts who actually have been been saved may get caught up with these guys, and it may cripple and hinder their faith for, for some time. It doesn't mean that they lost their faith. There's no sense of losing your salvation. You have to be careful with this text, because there's a lot of people that try to read into this that you could lose your salvation, but whenever you're interpreting Scripture, you always have to bring all of Scripture on to bear to a verse, and if a verse has any difficulty to it at all, you go to the verses that don't have any difficulty, like Ephesians chapter 1, 1 John. I mean, how much more positive can you be? Present tense, you're saved. I mean, he tells you, you have eternal life. How do you lose eternal life? You can't, you know. It, it wouldn't be eternal if you could. And it's a present tense verb. And basically, you possess it currently. Currently, you're eternal. Uh, that, that all believers are, and, and, and of course the book of the book of, of, of Ephesians is filled, with, and a lot of other places too. That's just two easy ones to go to, but but uh, but you can kind of get wallowed in the muck even as a believer. So some of those are are people that get picked off. A lot of them are people who who haven't really come to faith. Um, I hate to use this term because the term has become become bad and it really isn't accurate but in today's world we can assign might assign them as people that are defined as they are seeking something they're seeking some truth and they wind up in cults very often that's who the jehovah witnesses and 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 people like that uh uh pick off the watchtower society comes knocking on your door and here here read this and it's all high signing and everything but it's deadly it's people like that they pick they pick those those kind of people off they're not going to pick a solid christian off they might stumble you for a little bit but eventually you're going to figure it out but that's who they pick off uh, and that's where that's that's the danger you know uh, i was in a church uh, at one time and it went through a a uh, a terrible upheaval um uh, a man who I, I believe was a, a total apostate and paid the penalty for it. I've I, I, I told you about this guy. I think God literally killed him because of his actions. He uh, one day was perfectly healthy, and the next day he had cancer in every major organ in his body, and a few days later he was dead after what he caused in this church. But the sad thing was, here's the sad thing. 
that was the biggest year of new believer growth that church had ever experienced. Mm -hmm. All those people just went to the wind. I don't know what happened to them. Mm -hmm. There was no way to follow up after that. It's, It's just a very, a very... Very, it was a very sad and sickening experience. Mm-hmm. It was also a very frightening one, and taught me you don't put your hands on the Church of Jesus Christ. You don't, you don't come in with this arrogant, bombastic mm-hmm. thinking because we're dealing with a holy God who is absolutely just yet gracious. Thankfully. Anyway, that's that's the best I can answer that. I mean, I, I can't say it was Fred, you know, but it was that's that's kind of where that's where they that's where they that's where they 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 pride people they can catch in. In in Paul's day, it was it was idle women that didn't have anything to do but gossip. They sucked them in, apparently. Uh, from from the Timothy passage. Anything else? Yes, sir. I, I can't help but think of the Jim Jones. Well, uh, yeah, that's another one. Yeah, they were. And you know the the interesting thing is when Jim Jones started out, he was never a believer. Don't misunderstand me. But when he started out, he stood up there with a Bible. When he ended up, he was standing on it, oh. literally. So you know, yeah, that's that's a, it's an excellent example. Wow, we have two minutes. I stopped. We're two minutes. <laughs> anyway, okay, we got two more weeks in uh, in Peter, and like I said, I, I have asked uh, that I take a, a at least a, a two week break. I don't know what they're going to do in that two weeks because they don't know yet either. It's because because I just told them, <laughs> but uh, they got they got two weeks to figure it out, and then. I got a couple weeks with along with them to figure out where we're gonna go, what we're gonna do next. So uh, uh, I appreciate all of you. Anyway, let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We th- we thank you. We thank you that you and your graciousness, in your condescending, in your and in your in your condescending to us to to give us your written word so that we can know you that we can come to you in this word and and see how things are to be done see how you are to be worshiped and know what to avoid and father we ask that we would just be we would be attentive to daily study of your scriptures uh, to prayerfully consideration of the words of the text both old and new because in them you have revealed yourself to us and we can know who you are and we can come to you in true and open and free worship and we thank you for that and we thank you especially that in these days through Jesus Christ we have open access the veil has been rent and we can come into the very throne room and be heard that we have your spirit praying with us we have Jesus mediating for us And Father, we just thank that we would not be negligent of that. But all that we would do today and in the days to come would be to glorify the name of our Lord. And we thank you in his name. Amen.